Well, go ahead, uh, turning your Bibles to James chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start in verse 9. Um, click on your apps. We also use the YouVersion Bible app. There's a live event there. You can go to the, if you have that, go to the More tab, look for events. It's there. Uh, there's also a Bible under the chairs around you. If you need that, feel free to use it. Um, and if you need a Bible, feel free to take that as our gift to you. Um, so as you're turning, um, this has some thoughts this week and maybe a question for you. Have you ever been somewhere where you find yourself with someone that either has a lot more money than you do or a lot less money than you do? Chances are everyone can answer yes to that on both sides. It's funny the effect that that environment has on you, isn't it? Thinking, I mean, I'm sure that as you, as that question came in, all of a sudden a few scenarios came to mind. And you probably felt a little bit of what you felt in that moment. We are affected by that. I can remember of one such occasion. I was doing some mission work in Ecuador, and we went to this city dump to share the gospel of Jesus with those that lived amongst the trash. You see, there were a community of people that they weren't homeless because they had a job, and their, their job was to sort the trash of this city dump. But they made their home amongst the trash. So we went there to share the gospel with them. Um, we kind of find this little open area in the middle of these piles, these you know, 20-foot piles of, of trash. And, and, we're, and I was, I was the, the AV guy which, by the way, I had the badge of honor in sixth grade of being the AV guy. I really love that. I was trained to flip the projector and all that stuff and set it up. But I was the AV guy. It's kind of stuck. And so my, my, my responsibility part of it was to set up our little portable sound system so that we could do our presentation. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of improvising, kind of doing the Boy Scout thing. And I'm like, okay, I need something to set this on. And I look around and I say, oh, look, there's a table. So I walk over to grab the table. And as, I, and as I'm turning with the table, all of a sudden this woman emerges from the pile of trash. And she said, excuse me, that's my table. A little awkward. We'll come back to that story in a little bit. So I've been in that situation, and it had an effect on me. That day had an impact, an impact on me. And we can just say this, stuff is tough. Right? I mean, that's, as we get into our text today, we'll see that. I mean, when we think about the stuff we have and don't have, I mean, the questions come up. How should I treat those who have less than me? How should I treat those who have more than me? What should I do for those who have less than me? What should I do for those that have more, for, more than me? Should I do anything at all for them? How much should I have? What should I do with what I have? This is what James addresses today. So as we continue in our study of James, like I said, looking at verses 9 through 11 of chapter 1, uh, in, in this introductory section of his, of his letter, we'll see that G James continues in these two themes that we've been sitting in in the last couple of weeks. First, that we can be joyful in trials and temptations because we know that God is always acting in his sovereign care in and through them. Through trials and temptations, his work will be complete. We've talked about how through trials and temptation and God's faithfulness and his sovereignty, we see our faith strengthened. You remember that from a couple weeks ago? We see that we are made more into the likeness of God. Is there anything greater to rejoice in in this life? 
We also saw last week that we learn to trust in the wisdom of God as we grow to know Him more, where we find that peace that surpasses understanding because it's rooted in who He is, not in what this world provides, not in our circumstances. Then the other thing we've seen in these past couple of weeks that we'll continue today, that as we grow in these ways, we have seen that the work and call of Christ in our lives is one of, of calling us to a radically God-centered life. So these two themes will, will continue today, that we rejoice in, in trials and temptation because they result in God's work being done in our lives, and they call us to a radically God-centered life. So that's where we're at. So let's turn to our text real quick. We're going to read it in full. James 1, these three verses, 9 through 11. It says this. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So at first glance, what does this look like? It may be hard to see these verses as a part of the same train of thought that we've been building on from these previous verses. But however, when we, you know, first we can have confidence in this because the next verse after this, verse 12, is, is kind of a bookend to what was introduced in verses 2 through 4. But also it's pretty easy to understand that much of the trials and temptations in this world are related to money, are related to what we have and don't have. Again, thinking about that, kind of coming back, we, we always want more of it. There's never enough. We compare how much we have to everyone and we feel ashamed or we feel arrogant. We disagree on how to handle it. We judge others. There are right ways to get it and wrong ways to get it. Right? Wrong ways that goes beyond things like embezzlement. Those are the obvious ones. It matters a lot the manner in which you conduct your business and you know, to, to gain what you have, the manner in which you conduct yourself, whether the character of which you, you act in, that has a great impact on, on, on our possessions and, and, and what is right and what is wrong. So what's the point of this text today? <coughs> Excuse me. James addresses those who are poor as well as those who are rich. And, and I would say, and, and most commentators would agree, that both of these, the rich and the poor, are Christian brothers and sisters. It's not just that the poor is the Christian and the rich is not, and that he's speaking to the rich in an, an ironic, satirical way. The, the best understanding is to believe that they're both Christians. And you see later that James affirms having money. He affirms those who work and make money. We, we'll see that in chapter 4. But we can understand these both uh, to be believers. So what's the point? What's, let's kind of break down uh, the pitfalls of both for the poor and the rich to see there is an exhortation for both. So first, what are, what's the temptation? What's the trial of being poor? We can answer that by looking at James' exhortation to boast in his exaltation. What is this that we boast in? What is it that James is calling the one who, has, who doesn't have, the one who is poor, the one who is lowly? Uh, he, he says he's speaking to those who have less resources can easily define their worth by the world's standards. That's what he's calling them beyond. Don't define your worth by the world's standards. Having a smaller house often equates to a feeling of less intelligence, less success, less ability. Right? We kind of feel that. Another, another definition that the world gives is easy to think if I, if I only had a little more, 
of what, or, or thinking not just a little more, but then the comparative thought of if I had a little bit more of what they had, life would be so much easier and I would finally be happy. More space, more money, more access, more time off, more time away, more toys, whatever it may be. So for, for this person that is lowly, that is, that is being exhorted to, to exalt, to, to rejoice, to, have, to celebrate their exaltation, to boast in it, they end up, if they miss this, in this life of desperation and exasperation, jealousy, covetousness, and wild discontentment. That wild that is just out of control, right? James is saying no. He's saying no, 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 no. Just remember, these things, these things are not the point. Rejoice in the work of Christ in your life. You are exalted because of him. Foundationally, you are exalted because of Christ. We're going to come back to this. What's the temptation of the rich? They too define their worth by the world's standards. It says they are to boast in their humiliation. What do they boast in? Therefore, the person who has much, they end up boasting in themselves. They feel entitled because all of a sudden they've acquired or they've achieved. They feel above those who have less. They feel that because they've, they've done this, that they deserve whatever comes. The rich can also come to believe that their power and money can get them whatever they want, including redemption. They, they learn to, it's easy to learn that you can depend on yourself. This was the sin of Adam and Eve, if we could take it all the way back. God had given every provision they needed, and yet they decided they knew better, and they could provide for themselves. And they went and, went and took of the tree, and they fell. Why does James seem to be harder on the rich person? I mean, would you agree? It's like one sentence for the poor, the lowly, the rest of it, and it's pretty harsh about the rich person. It's not because it's all about the rich person. But I think it's because of how hard it is for those who have much to see that they need anything else. Um, I, I've never been a long-term missionary, but I've done a lot of short-term missionary work and been in places like, like Ecuador and, and other areas of Mexico, South America, Brazil, um, where there, there is less resource, third world countries, um, Cuba. And then I've been to Italy and, and places like that. And, you know, that, that week in Ecuador, we saw 1,200 people confess Christ. Like, I need a Savior. And we're, and we're, we're, we're dealing with homeless and, and people that, again, live in, in, in trash dumps, and there's just nothing else to lean on. There wasn't a lot of obstacle to get to them understanding that they need something. In Italy, as, as we were preparing to go, my first trip to Italy, they were like, hey, and I was going with the same group that went to Ecuador the year before, and they were like, don't expect what you saw in Ecuador. Like, you'll be happy. It would be amazing if we see one person actually confess that they're a sinner and, and, and lay down their life to follow Christ. We saw, we saw five over the moon. But again, what's, what, it's hard for the people that have. You think about your, the life you live in today. Like, how hard is it just to convince someone that they need someone else besides themselves around you every day? Not much less our own hearts. 
So I think James knows this because he knows how hard it is for those who have much to see that they need anything else. Those who have little often have nowhere else to run. Jesus knew how hard this was. There's an occurrence in Scripture we see in a couple of the Gospels. Jesus was talking to to a rich young ruler who wanted to know how to have eternal life, how to inherit the kingdom of heaven that Jesus was teaching about. Jesus answered that he must keep the commandments. And the man said, well, which ones? Funny question in itself, like all of them. But which ones? So this is where we pick up Matthew 19, 18. Now, it'll be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Uh, Matthew 19, 18. Uh, and so this is Jesus' answer. Jesus says, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if you know the commandments, you recognize. Kind of, He left out some strategic ones because he knew the heart of the man. The young man said to him, All these I've kept. So what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, what does it say? He says, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, well, I mean, well, well, who then can be saved? I mean, this sounds like over the top, impossible. That's kind of what they were saying. But Jesus looked at them and said, hey, with man, this is impossible. You're right. On man's standards, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Okay, so Jesus knew it, but he also confronts it, and we see the hope here. We are all people who would rather be able to do it on our own. It's so counterproductive, but it's so true. It seems so much more secure if we could, like, if we could attain our own worth and security by our own means. That we can control, that we could be given a list and just live out the list. And by the way, that happened and it didn't work. That's why God sent Jesus, just so you know. But, but that's what we would want. We say we want, we, we want the blessing of God. But when it comes to surrendering all to him, we turn away with a sorrowful heart. How crazy. God of the universe, creator God, our holy, loving God, said, let me show, let me do it for you. And yet we would turn away and say, no, I want to do it myself. So this could seem like a word of woe as we look at these verses, and it certainly is for the unrepentant, for the, for the world-chasing, the world-seeking person who only finds hope and satisfaction in this world. Of course it is. But, but even more emphatically, this invites us into a greater promise. There are things of this world that we are told and that we believe will satisfy But by contrast, we hear the proclamation and we know by experience that the satisfaction that comes from these things is shallow and temporary. God's satisfaction is deep and eternal. This is what James is just waving his arms at, calling us to. This is what the heart of God is saying. So here is what James is saying. We must see that God is calling us to trust in his resources. 
As we think about the work of trials and temptations and enduring them, we can have joy in them because we know that in, in persevering and seeing God proven faithful once again through them, we will trust in his resources above our own. Let's come back to the city dump in Ecuador. Let's pick up where we left off. So I had taken the table, and she comes out, and she says, that's my table. But it wasn't, that's my table. By the way, it was in Spanish, and all this was through an interpreter, so, but I'm just going to translate it all just for the sake of time. But she, so yes, she came out to tell me that it was her table, but her demeanor was not what, what you would expect it to be. This woman, think about it. She, she wasn't alone. She had a family. This was her family's place. This home, that she, the place, I said she came out of the trash. That's what my perception was. It was a couple of pieces of wood and, and, and crates kind of leaned up against the hill of trash with tarps and plastic hanging over the top. So I didn't even see it. But this home, this table was sitting right beside this. This was her home. But she had a family. She had kids. And I'm taking her table. And you think, about, you think about this table. They're in a trash dump. So I imagine finding a table with four working legs and a top without holes in it is not that easy. And here comes some, some rich white guy from America taking the one thing that she has, that's, you know, one of the few things she has that's not broken. And it could, have been easily, it could have been easy for her to jump to something. But she came out, and I'll tell you, she came out with this warmness. There was such gentleness to her. She, she, she merely wanted me to know that the table belonged to her so I could return it. And more than that, there was generosity in her. She was like, no, please use it. And you can imagine, like, I wasn't, I mean, I had, I had no sense of being better than anyone, but yet I was still being so humbled in the midst of this. There was hospitality in her heart. It was beautiful. And as we began to talk through the interpreter, she informed me that she was a Christ follower. And as she's talking about the way she came to Christ, there was such joy. And as she was sharing with me her relationship with the Lord in Christ, there was just, I mean, truly like gratefulness and joy. I mean, I, I, I was like, how am I supposed to get up and share the gospel with anybody? Please, you come. Like, it was amazing. I mean, she basically said, Jesus is all that I need. I don't need anything else. And she proved it. And she didn't just say it, she was living it. And it, and it I mean, it pierced me right here. We are so driven by comfort and success in this world, and, 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 we, all, and we all too often interpret God's goodness by the existence of those things, by the attaining of those things, by the extending of those things. God loves me, so he will bless me. Very true. But the definition of that blessing matters a whole lot. What matters more than your greatest need being provided. The key to the, for the lowly to be able to boast in the exaltation and the rich to be able to boast in their humiliation is to realize it is about something so much more. It is about God's saving work for you and me that he achieved in Jesus Christ. If you remember when we talked through the Sermon on the Mount, we started with the Beatitudes, this opening section of, of Jesus just laying the foundation of the work of the gospel. And he's going through these characteristics of the blessed be, blessed be, blessed be. And he's laying out, and, the, and when we talked about it, if you recall, we talked about these are not conditional clauses where if you are meek, then you will, you know, or if you are poor in spirit, then you will get the kingdom. It's because you have been changed by the work of Christ, because you are a new creation, because the old is gone, the new has come. You, are, you, you, are, you will be poor in spirit because you have recognized your need for him. Therefore, you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. He did it for you. Remember that? And then there's a call to responsibility. 
So then we extend the kingdom. This is the same thing. This is the same understanding that whether it's we are low or we are high, all we have to boast in is the fact that it is achieved in Christ. The greatest blessings in this life are because we are known by God because of the work of Jesus Christ. To be poor in spirit is to understand that need every day. Not as if we have to gain forgiveness again because it's once and for all, but to remember what we were and who we are now and our new identity in Christ. I mean, just think about it. Just let it sink in. When we all realize that without the work of Jesus, what are we? We are dead in our sins. Dead people cannot fix themselves. They cannot reach up for the lifeline. God has to breathe life into them. We are dead in our sins. We are in bondage to only what this world has to offer. Not only to what it has to offer now, today, but for eternity. This world is as good as it gets if this world is our hope. So ourselves, when we boast in our humiliation, when we boast in the exaltation of Christ, we are saying that yes, He achieved the good work in us and then it goes beyond this world. So we have to ask ourselves the questions, what is your Savior? What is your comfort? What is your security? What is your God? What gets your worship and adoration? What gets your time? Let's ask ourselves those questions honestly. And I pray that we can find the humbleness of heart that when we get the answer, we don't turn away and weep sorrowfully, bitterfully, because we just can't surrender. Let us see the invitation that there is no greater gift than surrender and acknowledging that there is the greatest gift in Jesus. God has spoken many times throughout His Word. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That is His desire, His work, His intent. He's been working through that through all of history. He says, come to me. This is what this is saying. Come to Him. All that is of this world will perish. It will turn to dust. All that is temporary will pass away. That's what James is saying here in the second half of verse 10 and 11. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. All the things of this world that we pursue, while they are good because they are part of God's good gift, they are temporary. They should only turn our hearts to gratefulness for him and remind us of the greatest need that he supplied. The gift that God gives is eternal life, and that will last for eternity. So repent, believe, trust in God's resources for what you have today and what you have for eternity. This is how Paul can say what he did in Philippians 4, 11-13. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I know that feels like the end of our talk. It's like, is there more? There's a little bit more. There's one more big point. So when I hear this, when I think about this, this begs the question to me, is it, is it okay to be rich? Is it okay to have money? Is it okay to have stuff? Or on the other side, am I supposed to be poor? Am I supposed to deny everything? 
man, I remember I went to India in 2006, and I'm so glad I was there for two weeks because I was reading this book that was just, like, over the top, like, you should not have anything. Like, why have a $1,000 washing machine when you could buy one on Craigslist for 100 bucks, kind of thing? And it was like, that, that conviction on every Christian, should every Christian should share that. And I was... For the, if I had left after the first week, and you know, we, Amber and I, who knows what would have happened. It, would have, we were, it was early in our marriage. It was our first year of marriage. And, I mean, I, I probably would not have come home with a lot of grace or sensitivity or anything. And I, I, might have, I might have started posting stuff on the plane. I don't know. It would have been bad. Luckily, I was there for a week. I understood what the Lord was doing. He was, he was calling me to a, a place of surrender. But yet, it's still like this question comes to mind. Is it okay to have or, or must we work not to have? Or just plainly. How much can I have? Is that on your mind? Here's your answer. See if you can follow me on this. And only say that not because of you, but because of me and my wording. So you are supposed to have the exact amount that will allow you to be a light for the truth of Jesus to the people, I'm going to repeat it, to the people and place God has intended you to live amongst and to live out his mission for you in this world. You are supposed to have exactly the amount that, you, that will allow you to be a light for the truth of Jesus to the people in place God has intended you to live out his mission in this world. One more snippet from Ecuador. We get, we're on the bus, driving to the dump, and we pull up to the, to the, to the dump and, we, and we're sitting there. And the guy, the, the missionary that was leading us said, before you get off, I want to say one thing. He said, now, you're going to be confronted with something you've probably never seen before. You're going you're gonna to be confronted with some poverty like you've never seen before. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, don't feel guilty. He said, don't feel guilty for what you have and what they don't have. He said, now, if the Lord convicts you of consumerism, materialism, let that work be done, but don't feel guilty. He said, let me tell you why. He said, the Lord is sovereign over all of life and all of death and over all of his creation. He said, he created them and he created you. He put this person to be born to these parents that put them into this circumstance. And he put you to be born to your parents that brought you into your circumstance. You had access to certain things. They have had access to the things that they've had access to or the lack thereof. He said, God is working. And ultimately, the, your need and their need is the exact same. The end of the day, you need the exact same thing. So don't go in there with arrogance. Don't go in there with guilt. Go in there with the gospel of Jesus. And man, I'm so glad he said that because then you see what experience I had. Our life in this world is about so much more than just life in this world. Do you get it? Do you see it? You know, with what we have or not, it's not what we have or not, but, but how we view the reason for what we have and how we use it. Are we grateful for all things as from God and have we committed all things to his purpose? All that we have, all that we do, the places we live, the jobs we have or don't have, all have one purpose. We are meant to live for his glory. That's it. We are meant to live on mission. This morning, Hiro was reminding us of just the importance of 
of, of us seeing that foundationally, first and foremost, we are meant to live out the purpose of God. We are to live for His glory. We do that by living faithful, obedient lives submitted to His Word. And we do it by proclaiming the truth of Jesus because in doing that, people's lives are surrendered and turned to Him. And therefore, they become worshipers. Therefore, God is glorified all the more and His work is done. We see His redemptive work done in this world. We are meant to live for His glory. So let's remember the other theme that's been following us through these intros, this introductory section of James. All of this should result in a radically God-centered life. Let me share a few verses. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. We were created for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Then hear this, 1 Corinthians 7.23-24 You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants to men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. We live the glory of God by living, like I said, by living faithful, obedient lives submitted to the full truth of God given in his word, empowered by the Holy Spirit that is in us. We live for the glory of God by holding out the light of Christ in every situation and with every breath. Our gospel, the good news of Jesus must contain both the glorious gift of salvation in Christ alone as well as the call to mission on every person that has made that confession. So to be, so to be, so to be disciples of Jesus is to follow Him. We follow Him unto death as we lay down our lives just as He did no matter our circumstance and we follow Him unto life in, in this world being about the same mission of seeking and saving the lost as well as in our hope of eternal life. So let us trust in God's resources over the resources of this world. Let us understand that all that has been given to us has been given for one reason, and that's for the glory of God. Steward what you have for that purpose. Let's pray. God, this is a tall task, and I'm just speaking for myself. Lord, I know that I've spoken the words many times that I would rather have it all or have nothing. I have a really hard time with this place in between. And so even though I stand up here with passion and, and, and conviction speaking these words, I also just know me and I know how hard it is to, to not pursue, Lord, uh, comfort and, and, and position and, and, and the kind of the respect of others because of what I have or what I've done. Lord, I pray that we would boast in nothing other than Christ. Lord, that because of Him and only because of Him are we exalted in Your kingdom. And Lord, that we can rejoice in being brought low because that only reminds us and allows us to come to the place of understanding our need for You, which brings us once again to salvation and an incorruptible hope. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are poor, who are lacking in resources. I pray that you would surround them with people of empathy and compassion and care. And Lord, for those that do have more, Lord, that there would be a selflessness and a sacrificialness and a joy in giving and coming alongside. God, I pray against the mindset of inferiority or the mindset of arrogance on either side. 
And Lord, we see the pitfalls. We see the obstacles. We know them. And Lord, I thank you that our only remedy is in Jesus and you have made that work possible. Lord, I also pray for us as a people, Lord, that this would result in a truly, a radically God-centered life. Lord, where we are overcome, Lord, by your heart for you, this world. Lord, that we would see the world as you see. Lord, only you can help us to live this way. So we cry out for the Holy Spirit to enlighten our understanding, to illuminate your truth, to embolden our actions. Lord, we are a people called together for your purpose, for your glory and your, your glory alone. Lord, root out, dig out anything else in us. We thank you for your divine love. We thank you for calling us to this, this humbleness, God. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.